Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church sermon podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through His Word for His people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from Him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship Him and take His message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryvale.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. This morning I invite you to find your Bible and turn with me back to Galatians chapter 1. As you're turning there, once upon a time there was a man who walked into this little mom and pop grocery store and he asked Pop there, he said, do you sell salt? Ha, said the proprietor, do we sell salt? Just look. And Pop, he showed him a, the customer an entire wall that was filled with nothing but salt. Morton salt, iodized salt, kosher salt, sea salt, rock salt, garlic salt, seasoned salt, Epsom salt, every kind of salt imaginable. Wow, said the customer. You think that's something, said Pop. That's nothing. He said, come on, follow me. Come look. And Pop, he took the customer into the back room. The back room was filled with shelves and bins and cartons and barrels and boxes of salt. Do we sell salt? Unbelievable, said the customer. You think that's something, said Pop. He said, come on, I'll show you salt. And Pop led the customer down some steps, down into a huge basement, a basement five times larger than the room that they were just in that was filled wall to wall, floor to ceiling with everything imaginable, every form, size, and shape of salt, even the huge 10-pound blocks of salt licks that are used in the cow pastures. Incredible, said the customer. You do really sell some salt, don't you? No, said Pop. He said, that's the problem. We never sell salt. But that salt salesman, whoo boy, does he sell salt. Why do I tell you this? It's because, look what Jesus calls his followers. Matthew 5, 13, what does he call us? He says, you are the salt of the earth. Then he adds, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, what about salt that stays up on a shelf? What about salt that never gets used, is never doing anything? You see, it too doesn't do any good at all. Instead, what Jesus wants us to be, he wants us to be out there, to be in the world as a preserving influence on the people around us. He wants us to be out there. He wants us to make a difference in people's lives. He wants us to speak with authority of his name so that the people will listen and they will respond to the gospel message. But the big question we have this morning is how? How can we, how can we as God's people, how can we have this positive influence on those that are around us? How can we get our neighbors, how can we be a voice among the various voices that are clamoring for all of their attention? Can we take how this gospel, how it comes to us, and can we then take that gospel and share that gospel with others around us? Well, let's go ahead and look at Paul's letter to the Galatians for answers. Let's read our passage from God's Word. Please stand in honor of reading God's Word. I'm reading from Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 11 to 24. Now first, Paul's going to defend here his apostleship in this passage, giving the reasons why the people, why they should be listening to him. And then he's going to make the point that he didn't get his ideas from any man. He got these ideas directly from Jesus Christ himself while he was in Arabia, who he had spent time with before he spent time with any other man. And then he's going to close this out speaking of the false teachers who dog Paul steps throughout the day, who love to drop names, names of important people. But Paul tells us here, he's going to tell us his authority. It didn't come 
come from his connections with important people. It came from his connection with Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles open, let's go ahead and read what Paul says, beginning in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he had once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these words of Paul. We just love these stories where you come into somebody's life and you do your but God situation, where you turn their life around, you completely change them. You set them free from their past and put them on a new life in you. Lord, I just pray that as we go through our lesson today, that by the end of it, we'll be able to say like they did of Paul, that God, that you will be glorified because of each and every one of us in here, because of what we do, how we act, how we speak, how we treat other people, that we'll be that way so we can reflect Christ in our lives. We can be that salt, that preserving agent that you call us to be. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. Let me begin by saying in the world today, be it at work, maybe it's with your friends or your family members or whomever, how is it that we get the right to be heard by so many different people? For many people, it's because you have a certain degree, right? Maybe you hold a certain position at work. Maybe you live in a certain area that people think are, is prestigious, or maybe you come from a certain family that's well-respected. But why is that? It's because we think that these people, they know something that we want to know. Because maybe they're an actor, maybe they're a politician, a pastor, a teacher, maybe they're a doctor or, or whatever. But friends, we don't gain the right to be heard because we've studied under any great human teacher. We don't gain the right to be heard because we work for a leading company in the day. We don't gain the right to be heard because we have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or whatever. We as Christians, we gain the right to be heard because we've spent time with the Master. We've spent time with Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. If we want true spiritual authority in our lives, if we want to have that positive influence on those people around us, if we want to speak in such a way that people that they will listen to us, then friends, we must be in communion with Christ. We must be connected with Him, with Jesus. We must know the Lord and we must know Him personally. We must get our thoughts from Him. We must get our ideas from Him. And we must go forward with those. You see, as God says in Isaiah 55, 8, He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. And then look what He adds down in Isaiah 55, 9. He says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Look, what God has to say 
it is a whole lot more important than anything that we can say. My opinion, your opinion, it's just one of many opinions that are competing for the attention of people in our world today. And most of those people, they don't see any opinion that they get as any more valid than any other opinion. It's just a bunch of noise, noise they hear in the background. So if we're going to speak in such a way that people, that they will listen, we cannot declare on our own opinions. We must instead speak the thoughts and the words of Jesus Christ. That means, that means we have to know him personally. That means we have to spend time with him. That means we must know his thoughts and they must become our thoughts. Then and only then will we be able to speak without authority to all the people. Has anybody ever watched that show on PBS called Antiques Roadshow? Well, it's a show where people learn that stuff that maybe they've been, that's been sitting around in their house, maybe their living room, bedroom, attics, wherever, that it's worth a lot of money. There's one episode, there was an elderly man. He brought in an old blanket that he had inherited several years before. He knew the old blanket was worth a little something. But when he got it through inheritance, he simply threw it over the back of his rocking chair in the bedroom until he brought it to this Antiques Roadshow episode. With that blanket hanging on the rack behind him, the expert appraiser, he looked at that and he told the man his heart stopped when he first saw it. The appraiser went on to explain the item that he had brought in was an original Navajo chief's blanket that was woven back in the 1840s. It was in wonderful condition. It was one of the oldest blankets intact from the Navajo weaves to survive the 21st century. Certainly one of only a tiny handful that existed outside of the museums in our country. And because of its rarity and its significance, the appraiser, he had no trouble telling this man that that blanket, that it was worth somewhere between $350,000 and $500,000. As that man, as he walked out of that convention center that day, the blanket that he carelessly carried in was now cradled in his arms carefully. He walked out of the building with armed security guards on either side of him. He drove straight down to the bank, placed it in a safe deposit box. To this man, what had been junk, what had been just a mere accent on an old rocking chair in his bedroom, had instantly been transformed into precious treasure. Church we often treat God's word exactly the same way. The way that old man treated that blanket. We know it's got some value. But what do we do? We throw it on our coffee table when we get home or our end table or wherever. And it's just a mere accent on the furniture until we go to church the next Sunday. My prayer for you, my friends, is this. That God would open your eyes to his word. That we would love and would appreciate it as the supreme treasure that it is. Not that we would then take it away, go want to lock it in a safe deposit box like he did his blanket. But that we would want to lock it away inside our hearts. Do that so we can think the way he thinks. We can speak the way that he speaks. We can speak with authority in the world today. Now, understand, I'm not talking about just an academic knowledge of the Bible here. I'm talking about a personal knowledge of Christ himself through his word, so that his word, that it would live in us, we would be able to breathe it out, so that we lived it out, lived out the gospel before those in the world today. It was over 30 years ago, A.W. Tozer made an observation about the evangelical church. He explains why he thinks we've lost any significant influence in the world today. This is what he said. So there is today an evangelical rationalism which says that the truth is in the word and if you want to know truth, go learn the word. If you get the word, you have truth. That is the evangelical rationalism that we have in fundamentalist circles. If you learn the text, you've got the truth. 
This evangelical rationalism wears our uniform. He comes in wearing our uniform and says what the Pharisees said. Well, truth is truth, and if you believe the truth, you've got it. Such see no beyond and no mystic depth, no mysterious or no divine. They see only, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. They have the text and the code. They have the creed and them. That is the truth. So they pass it on to others. The result is we're dying spiritually. To know the truth, we must know the Son of God. Friends, if we're going to speak with any authority in our world today, then we must know Jesus personally. We must spend time with him just like Paul did. And we must understand and accept and then live out the gospel message. Now, I don't expect any of us can spend three years in the desert communing with Christ like Paul did back in his day. But we can spend, friends, we can spend 15, 20, 30 minutes a day in his presence. You can spend 30 minutes a day listening and talking to him. Friends, understand, we must spend time with Christ if we're going to be heard in our world today. If we want true spiritual authority, if we want to have a positive influence on those around us, if we want to speak in a way that people, that they will listen to what we have to say, then we must be in regular communion with Jesus Christ. But more than that, We must allow Christ to radically change us, change us from the inside out. We must demonstrate that transformed life as we're walking in the world. We must show the world, show them that we're different. Don't just tell them, you must show them that you're different if we want to make a difference in their lives. That's what happened to Paul. He was a zealous persecutor of the church, a very religious man whose fanaticism led him to kill Christians wherever he found them, but then... Again, I love those words, but then God got a hold of his life. God revealed the gospel to Paul, and he, God, he changed Paul's life forever. So how is it that the gospel, how is it that it comes to us in our remaining time together? Let's look at that. And thus, what we're going to understand is how we can also share that gospel with the others that he puts in our path as well. So first, let's look at the origin of the gospel. We're going to look at verses 11 and 12. It's where Paul, he continues to demonstrate here the gospel that he proclaims. It's the only gospel, he says, that's worthy of the name. It's the only gospel that's of divine origin. So here in verse 12, Paul begins his defense of the source of the gospel. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. So those words that he said there, I would have you know, it introduces a statement that Paul would want us to pay special attention to. The subject he calls our attention to is the gospel. That's what he wants us to understand. The message that he preached was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his statement that was preached, it indicates that they, that the Galatians, that they had heard it before. And since they had heard it before, they were now responsible for what they had heard. Paul's defense of himself is really a defense of the gospel. And a defense of the gospel is also a defense of Paul himself. The unchangeable permanent gospel he preached it's not according to man he says nor did it originate with any man the gospel that Paul preached it was not a product of any human ingenuity there was no devising it up by any man by any person no human input was required or used in determining it if you look at any man-made religions we have in our world today so often what do they do they emphasize human merit. They emphasize the necessity of human works as a basis of just simple salvation. There was none of that, none of that at all in the message that Paul preached. Then the apostle declared, he didn't receive this gospel from any human source. Look at verse 12. 
said, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul, he takes us back to his personal history with his, I did not receive it from any man. The I in this is really an emphatic statement. He said, I did not. He was wanting to make sure they understood that he did not receive it. And no matter whatsoever did this gospel reach him from any human source. That's what he was trying to get at. The gospel wasn't passed on. It wasn't passed down from someone else. And then finally, Paul, he affirmed here he didn't receive the gospel by means of being someone's pupil. By listening to someone instructing him on it. When he says, nor was I taught it. Just how did he receive the gospel? How did he do it? He received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul declares that it was Jesus himself. Jesus came down and directly revealed the gospel to him as he had with the other apostles. This is the highest authority that he received it from. How then? How could these Galatians, how could they question his authority and his message? And how dare they deviate from the divinely revealed truth? I mean, we don't know how, we don't know when this revelation occurred. Yes, he had an exposure to the gospel message both before and after this direct revelation. But his point here is this, the gospel, it was not his own. The gospel, it was not someone else's. It was not their speculation, it was not their idea. The gospel of Christ, it was God's plan for humanity's salvation. It's no pipe dream. It was not concocted by any mortal mind at all. It's God's plan. It was revealed in God's time to be spread throughout God's creation. The year was 1998. The space probe landed on the surface of Mars. People, they huddled around their TVs to get this close-up look at the pictures of this Mars surface. Those revelations and discoveries, they were collected, analyzed, and scrutinized, and then categorized until scientists, until they could finally develop a host of conclusive, undeniable facts about the rocks of Mars. Friends, that's the way we must study the undeniable truths of God's Word. We must savor them. We must savor them with the same passion that those scientists that they brought to those discoveries from Mars. Paul stated here that the source of this truth is God. God is the author of this truth. No one else, no man. I pray that God, through the Holy Spirit, will help you and I distinguish between the claims of the world, what it tries to say, and the eternal truths of our Lord and Savior. Next, under number two, we're going to look at how the gospel overcomes our past. In support of Paul's claims, his gospel was not from man. His argument now, it's going to turn to his former life, that in Judaism. First, we're going to look at verse 13. It says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Paul, he's telling us here of his pre-conversion life. When he was this Jewish rabbi, he says they've heard it before. They've heard of his former life. Probably when they heard a personal testimony when he was preaching the gospel on one of his missionary journeys. In his past, Paul, he had been a fanatic persecutor of the church. He was standing before Herod Agrippa II when he summarized his frenzied oppression of the Christians this way. Look at how he put it. This is Acts 26, starting in verse 9. He said, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities." When he was Saul of Tarsus. Now, I know there's a lot of confusion there. Many people think that God changed Paul's name from Saul to Paul. It was not God. Saul was his original name. That was his Jewish name. 
Paul was his Hebrew name. That's the name that he was recognized after his conversion. So Saul of Tarsus, he consented to the murder of Stephen. Then he raised havoc in the early church by putting its leaders in prison. He was so determined to destroy the church, and he wanted all the believers stopped, all the believers killed. Paul thought Jesus was a blasphemer. He thought his gospel was a lie. He championed his own faith. He championed Judaism in his life. And he went beyond all measure to persecute believers on his personal campaign to destroy Christianity. Now the word destroy that was used in the scripture here is the word for utterly sacking a city. Paul, he had a scorched earth policy against all the Christians of his day. Then look at verse 14. He says, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. This indicates here that he was being rewarded by his leaders for his zeal against the believers. The word Judaism, it doesn't just refer to a nationality. It refers to his religion as well. To be fully Jewish, a person, they must be a descendant of Abraham, a faithful Jew adhered to the precepts of its religions. And Saul was both of those. He loved the law, and he was as zealous for the traditions of his fathers as anyone. And he was on his way to becoming one of the most respected rabbis of his day. No doubt he spent much time studying the law of Moses and the accompanying rabbinical traditions, so much so that he was actually a committed student of the rabbi Gamaliel with that pedigree. Who could accuse Paul of not being acquainted with the teachings of Judaism? I mean, he knew better than those Judaizers what the law said. Paul would confess to the Philippians in Philippians 3, 5, and 6 that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to the zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I guess you could kind of summarize Saul in these words. The Junus of his Jewish credentials, they were impeccable. That was Paul's past. That was Saul. Then he became Paul. That's what the gospel had to overcome, his past. And such a mess it was. But could the gospel do it? Did it do it? Well, we're going to close out looking at under number three. Not what a mess we've made of our lives, but when God. What happens when God, when he gets a hold of someone? And we're going to see what happens We're going to look at Paul's present life. We're going to look at his new life, his life in Christ. When Paul met God, something miraculous happened in his life that changed his life in the most radical of ways. He had become that which he had despised, that which he had hated the most before. Saul of Tarsus transformed into Paul the Apostle. In verse 15, we discover that God had a plan for Paul. He said, but when he, meaning but when God, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Now, look at the beginning of verse 16 where Paul says, but when God was pleased to reveal his son to me. Paul was living his own life. He was zealously pursuing the traditions of Judaism that he was brought up in. But then God. He entered the picture. God, he had his own plan for Paul's life. Paul's saying here that God, he had a prior claim on his life. From the time that he was in his mother's womb, God had designed Paul for this purpose. So when God, when God's purpose for Paul, when it was accepted, he was turned from his and his nation's own purposes to what he was today. The difference that we see there is so dramatic. It's as different as turning night into day. When a man is proceeding energetically, determinately, successfully in one direction, and then all of a sudden, bam, they're now turning, reversing their direction, going full speed in a diametrically opposite direction, 
And they're doing that only because something life-changing has occurred. That's what happens. When a thinking man, when they suddenly reverse all their values, so much so that his life, it turns upside down. Understand, a major event has taken place in the life of that person. And God, in Paul's conversion, he laid his hand on Paul's life. This ferocious persecutor was turned. He was transformed into the empowered, faithful propagator. And friends, that was no freak accident. It was not an accidental event. It was all part of God's eternal plan. The plan that was in place. In place even before Paul was born. And it was brought about, brought into being by God at that particular moment. Friends, God has a plan for every man. He has a plan for each and every one of you that's here. But, you see, the challenge is he allows each of us this thing called free will. Meaning, we can join him. We can join him in what he's doing. Or we can continue on in our blindness. And we can frustrate ourselves by ignoring it. By rejecting what God would have us do. God has a purpose in his design for every individual. We just need the courage to surrender to God. And to unite with him so we can accomplish his plan. Even if it may be radically reversed from the plan that we had for ourselves. The purpose of Paul's conversion and his commission are found in that next part of verse 16. Let's look at it. It says, to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. What brought about Paul's total alteration was the son of God. That was it. Paul, he had religion. He had self-righteousness as well as a reputation and recognition in his life. But what he didn't have was Jesus. That's what he was missing. When he saw Jesus, when he saw him for real, what did he do? He chucked his former life. He pitched it away and he followed Jesus into a new life. What God purposed to do was to change Paul into Christ-likeness and to reveal his son through Paul to the Gentiles. By God's grace, the revelation of the Son of God on that road to Damascus, it transformed Paul's life by God's grace. And it revealed the same son to him with greater and greater clarity. God did it by revealing His Son in greater ways, in the depths of His soul, through the most intimate personal relationship that He could have with Him. That's what happened. And then what happened after that? Paul just simply did what we need to do, friends. He lived it out. He lived out that relationship he had before men. God chose Paul not only to save him, but also to use him to win others. The purpose clause in verse 16 is this, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God called Paul to preach among the Gentiles, preach that same gospel of grace that he had experienced on that road to Damascus. This radical transformation, it is certain evidence that Paul's conversion was from God. There was no other way under heaven that a prejudiced, legalistic, fanatical Jewish rabbi that he would ever decide to minister for the church he once despised and persecuted to the death. Much less do it to the Gentiles. The last part of verse 16 and verse 17 continues on with Paul's initial Christian experience. Look at it. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. God was separating Paul here, separating him for ministry to the Gentiles. So what did he do? He didn't send him to Jerusalem where the other Jewish Christians were, that Jewish headquarters where the apostles, they were ministering to all the people there. But he sent him to the desert of Arabia for an extended period of time. There, apparently, he, Paul gave himself over completely to 
to the study of the Word, to prayer, and to meditation with the Lord alone. Though Paul grasped the gospel of Jesus' revelation on that Damascus road, he sees the fuller implications of this experience. It became clearer and clearer to him over time when he spent time with Jesus. Alone, not consulting with anyone. He was alone in Arabia. He explored what his calling and his commissioning meant for his own life, for his future ministry, and under the divine guidance, he formulated his theology. Surely, He was involved in evangelism, and he did discipleship as opportunities presented themselves. But the Holy Spirit, he says, was his only teacher. The point of Paul's declaration is clear. He formed his theology not by consulting with others, but independently as he sought God's guidance. After this time of solidification in faith, he still didn't present himself in Jerusalem, but instead he returned to Damascus. Damascus is in Syria. It was a large and thriving commercial center located near the Lebanon mountain range. It had a large Arab and Jewish population. It had a strong Hellenistic influence. It was in Damascus where Paul's conversion, call, and commission had occurred. There, his life was in constant danger as he championed Christianity in the faith of the obstinate Judaism that he had once promoted. He stirred up the city so much that the Jews, they had to let him down out of the city and over the wall in a basket. He had to do that to escape certain death. You see, he was ready to die for the gospel that he once persecuted to the death. In 1991, after two operations, Cheryl Jennings' sight was restored after 40 years of being blind. His family and friends, they reacted with absolute euphoria. But the next day, Cheryl's fiancé recorded in her diary that he was trying to adjust to being sighted, not able to trust his vision yet, like a baby just learning to see everything new, exciting, scary, unsure of what seeing means. You see, although Cheryl knew people and objects, he knew them through his other senses in his life, he couldn't recognize these people by their sight. People expected him to be fully adjusted immediately after he got his sight. But he was still trying to figure it all out, figure out what everything was. Friends, isn't it much the same way for us when we receive God's gift of salvation? After Paul, after he was blinded on that road to Damascus, the restoration of his physical sight, it became a powerful metaphor for the new spiritual sight that is received through Christ. We don't know much about Paul's three years in Arabia following his conversion, except that it must have been a period of profound learning, learning about life and learning about God. It takes time, friends, for us to grow in our relationship with Christ and to see the new spiritual eyes through them that God has given us. So friends, I say this to say, let's be patient with each other and especially with every new Christian we meet along our journey. Understand, conversion is a step of faith. Maturity is a journey of faith. Let me close with this. We saw how the gospel comes to us, but the bigger question is this. What do you plan to do with it? The gospel does no good, no good at all if it's not shared, if it's not lived out in our lives. God knows each one of us intimately, and he has prepared each one of us for a task. Just like Paul, we should know ourselves to be chosen, not for honor, but for service, not for our ease, but for spiritual battles. In the hardest, most necessary campaigns, who is it the general sends out there to win the war? He sends his best soldiers. My question is, where is God sending you? Paul knew he'd been saved to serve, serve those that he formerly despised. 
God sent him forth to preach the eternal gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, my question to you this morning is to whom is God sending you forth to share the gospel of grace? Let's pray. I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620-336-2777. We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed and thanks again for listening to the Cherryville First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast and have a blessed day.